Up first today, during the coronavirus pandemic, much attention has been given to the shortage of essential equipment in healthcare settings. And a lot of people who are uninsured have been wondering what to do if they suspect they have become infected with COVID-19. Another important facet of this conversation has to do with the Affordable Care Act, which has been nearly eliminated many times by Congress and is now playing a vital role for many Americans amid the chaos. Here to talk with us about these things and the other ways that healthcare policy intersects with the coronavirus is Julie Robner. She is the chief Washington correspondent with Kaiser Health News. Julie, welcome back to Detroit Thank you for today. having me. Yes. Uh, l- let's start with uh, this little news tidbit that I was given right before we went on air. March 23rd, 2010 was the day that President Obama signed the Affordable Care Act into effect. That is 10 years and three days from today. So that's sort of an ominous I guess, backdrop for the discussion that we're going to have about the ACA and coronavirus, which, of course, nobody could have predicted when uh, the president signed that legislation. Um, Give us an idea of how different this looks today, what we're dealing with, because of the ACA. Well, if there had been no Affordable Care Act, we would have had 20 million more people without insurance. We would have had thousands fewer uh, health professionals. One of the things the Affordable Care Act did was uh, provide grant funding to help train health professionals, particularly um, primary care health professionals, not just doctors, but nurses and physician assistants. Um, there, there was, uh, with that insurance came ways for hospitals and clinics and doctors to get paid because obviously people who didn't have insurance weren't able to pay for their care when they needed it in an emergency. So there are an awful lot of things that the Affordable Care Act did that uh, I think the the nation's health system would be much more for the worse without. Yeah. Uh, from the public health perspective, uh, of course, uh, the ACA is, is playing a, a huge role, I think, um, in in the way that uh, this is this is playing out, um, the ACA eliminated some of the high costs of healthcare, but not all of them. Are we seeing these high costs influence the care that healthcare providers are offering to patients during this pandemic? Cost was was one of the things that I think the ACA had the hardest time with. Uh, it did. You know, nobody's quite sure still how to bring down the high cost of health care. One of the problems I think the U.S. has had in the 10 years since the law was signed uh, was the entry into the health care system um, of private equity firms sort of looking for new ways to make money. And this, this was not as big a problem 10 years ago, so the ACA didn't address it. This is where the surprise medical bills come from, that these hedge funds are buying up doctor practices and raising prices and sometimes buying up hospitals and raising prices. That, that was, this is something that happened not because of the Affordable Care Act, but since the Affordable Care Act. Um, there's been a lot of pressure. Congress has been working very hard on a bill to try to curb these surprise medical bills. These are bills that people get, you know, through no fault of their own when they go to an in-network facility and end up getting treated by someone who's out of network. And then they get these enormous, you know, sometimes often tens of thousands, sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollar bills. Congress is fairly close to to a solution to this. And there's been pressure to put it 
into one of these stimulus bills. This, the one that just passed the Senate last night is the third one, and it hasn't made it in yet, but they're still working on it. And, you know, it is a big concern that right now there are people with insurance who are afraid to seek health care because of fear of how much it might cost them. And I think, you know, that goes doubly now with so many people having lost their jobs and their sources of income that even if they have insurance, they are they really don't want to run the risk of having a big medical bill. And that's a big problem. And that's sort of the next problem that policymakers have to address. But in a public health crisis, it's all the more important that people who need uh, immediate medical care are able to get it so as to not spread the disease to others. Right. My guest is Julie Rovner. She's the chief Washington correspondent for Kaiser Health News. We're talking about the ACA, the Affordable Care Act, which turned 10 years old just a few days ago, and the effect that it's having on the coronavirus pandemic. Is it making things easier for us here in the country to deal with such an emergency? Uh, Are there gaps that still exist in the ACA that Congress maybe ought to be turning its eyes to at this time to try to make things go a little more smoothly? Uh, We also want to hear what your health care questions are and what your health care experiences have been in the last week or so as we've started to deal with uh, positive test results from from coronavirus here in the Detroit metro area. Uh, Are you or a loved one trying to seek care for coronavirus-related symptoms? Give us a call and let us know how that is all going at uh, our medical centers here in Southeast Michigan. Also, give us a call and tell us if you have a pre-existing condition that requires you to go into an office for medical care. What are you doing now? Uh, How has your health care regimen changed amid this pandemic. Uh, As always, the number on the phones here is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, Also, as always right now, we want to just hear from you about how you're doing how you're handling all of the changes that uh, are unfolding around us, uh, that this is asking of us. Uh, how, is your, how is your work right now? How are your children right now on uh, days and days indoors, days and days uh, now doing online learning in a lot of cases? This is a lot to take in. This is a lot to process. This is a lot to live with. And we really want to hear from listeners about what those experiences are. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Uh, Julie, before we get to listeners, it's a little ironic that the Trump administration is now considering opening enrollment year-round because of this coronavirus pandemic. Uh, tell us a little more about that. Yes, it is. Um, you know, the, the way the Affordable Care Act works is that people can only sign up during a particular open enrollment period. It's usually six weeks towards the end of the year. Uh, nine states who run their own uh, marketplaces have reopened enrollment for people who didn't have insurance but would like to buy it now. The Trump administration could do that as well for the rest of the states. Uh, the uh, federal government runs the marketplace for most of the country. Um, that That is the last I saw still under consideration, but they haven't done it. The other thing that, that's sort of hindering this is 14 states still have not expanded the Medicaid program. That was something that the Affordable Care Act uh, required states to do, but then the Supreme Court in 2012, when they found the law 
generally constitutional, said that the federal government couldn't force the states to expand Medicaid, and many of them, including Michigan, were kind of slow to do it. Michigan did it a couple of years ago, but there are still 14 states that have not. So there are a couple of million people who should be eligible for Medicaid under the terms of the Affordable Care Act, but who are not yet. So there are definitely ways for people who don't have insurance to get it. I should point out that people who lose their jobs and who had health insurance and lose it, those people are automatically eligible to go to the uh, to the marketplace and, and get their own coverage, usually with a subsidy. Um, that's, uh, that The Affordable Care Act did presume that people during the year, if they have what's called a change in circumstance, would, would need to go buy insurance. But this is a way to open it to people who simply don't have it or didn't have it or didn't think they needed it and now suddenly think, yeah, maybe that would not be a bad idea. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Let's start with George in Taylor. George, welcome to the show. Hey, how you doing today, sir? Good. I love your show. Thank you. Um, yes, actually, me, my brother, and my mother were just diagnosed yesterday with uh, uh, being exposed. We called the doctors in the hospitals, and they said that there's not enough tests to go around, and that my mother, because she's in her late 70s, she can be tested in five days after the incubation period, but me and my brother would not be able to have any tests or medical services until it became dire. Hmm. So there's just tests going around in Michigan right now. Yeah, I mean, there's still this incredible shortage of tests, and they're trying to make sure that they use them on, you know, people who uh, who are in really bad shape. George, are, are you or are people in your family experiencing any of the symptoms yet? Of not yet. We were just uh, we were just diagnosed. Yes, uh, we were just told yesterday. Okay. So no one's experiencing people close watch on my mother but um no 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 symptoms as of yet yeah yeah well george we we wish you the best and hope that you don't develop symptoms uh and of course hope that uh that all of us get better answers to what's going on uh soon i know that there is a concerted effort to ramp up testing here in the city of detroit that is going to start really soon they're going to try to test 400 people a day, according to the mayor's chief of staff. Uh, hopefully, as as we get deeper into this, the, those efforts start to really matter and start to show up in, in, in people's lives. Uh, Julie Rovner, this question of testing and how much testing is available doesn't really have a whole lot to do with the ACA, but it does have to do with our approach to uh, healthcare in general, right? The preparedness that we would need for pandemics like this does figure into health policy in this country. It very much does. You know, after 9-11 and the anthrax attacks, Congress really took a very uh, intense look at, you know, preparedness and public health and the state of the public health infrastructure in the various states. And they did an enormous amount of work and sent an enormous amount of money to the states. And for a couple of years, as a country, we were pretty well ready for the next pandemic. And there was um, an enormous amount of money also in the Affordable Care Act um, for public health for exactly this sort of eventuality. But in the 10 years since, Congress, on kind of a bipartisan basis, has, has sort of nibbled away at that money. And, you know, it's like, well, it's just sitting there not doing anything, so we should spend it for something else. And so, you know, this is sort of the, the typical, you don't, 
you don't really you're not ready for the emergency until it's upon you mm-hmm. and that's what happened this time you yeah. know now we've discovered that uh, in some some places there are enough tests but there aren't enough swabs and it turns out that the swabs come from Italy um, there mm-hmm. are actually companies that are flying empty planes to China to bring back masks and other equipment now that China's uh, epidemic is a little bit on the wane because normally those things come by boat and that takes weeks or months so you know there's there's a lot of things that are that could have been going on sooner but haven't been and you know what we're seeing is cases like this where there's contact tracing and someone has been told that you are you know you've been exposed um people who have not people who don't have symptoms can still spread the virus what's difficult is making sure that people who who are exposed don't expose anybody else and without testing that's really hard it yeah. means that that many more people have to you know absolutely not come in contact with other people yeah. uh, again george thanks for the call and best wishes to you uh, and your family as you uh, make your journey through all of this madness let's go to mark in ferndale mark what's on your mind Hi. hey my call was about uh, rather selfish. Uh, <laughs> uh, I went for a walk this morning. I'm mm-hmm. here in Ferndale. There wasn't uh, hardly, I saw one, maybe three, four people on the street. Uh, the weather's warming up. I have a motorcycle. Is it selfish of me to want to take it for a ride and not be in, you know, it's a solo hobby yeah. as a rule. Yeah. Is, and, you know, uh, all the things you're talking about this morning, I'm so glad I tuned in uh, as far as exposure as being asymptomatic. And if, uh, you know, you hear these things about 70% of us are going to be infected. Well, if we're asymptomatic, uh, how careful should we be? Hmm. It's uh, it's really kind of overwhelming, as you've been saying. Yeah, Mark, uh, as far as I know, riding your motorcycle is one of the things you probably can do right now without... Running afoul of the of the orders that we're under here in Michigan, or um, or, or risking infecting people. Although there is a stay at home uh, order in place that the governor uh, issued on on Monday, and I think people would prefer that you not go and congregate with with people. But uh, but I think that's that's actually probably okay. Uh, doing what you're doing. But uh, but uh, again, I think we're all in the same boat trying to think through everything we do in a different way than we did just a week ago just to make sure that we're not putting ourselves or other people uh, at risk. So, Mark, I really appreciate the call. Uh, And go and enjoy yourself at least a little. I think that's okay and maybe pretty important right now. Uh, Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Julie Rovner of Kaiser Health News. And we want to continue to hear from you. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We'll we'll, We'll stay right where you are. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. One zero one nine WDET, Detroit's NPR station, celebrating seventy years of radio in Detroit. This is Detroit today on one zero one nine WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, 
I'm really glad you have joined us. My guest is Julie Robner. She's the chief Washington correspondent for Kaiser Health News. We're talking about the effect of this coronavirus pandemic on the ACA and vice versa. What is the ACA doing that is making this perhaps a little easier to manage or maybe a little harder. Uh, we want to hear from you as well. What are your health care questions right now? Are you or a loved one trying to get care right now during this pandemic? And give us a sense of what your experience is like. What's it like when you go to an urgent care or to a hospital? Uh, what kind of what kinds of services are you being offered or, or denied at this point? Uh, because the hospitals are so full with people who are sick. Uh, there's also, of course, worry about the spread of the disease, which continues to be quite virulent, especially in places like Detroit. Uh, as always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we will work you into the conversation. Um I want to talk a little, uh, Julie, about Medicare. We've had a caller the last couple of days, uh, an elderly uh, person who lives here in southeast Michigan, asking about Medicare. And he's asking on behalf of himself and also the other people who live in the facility where he where he lives. I think there's a lot of concern people have about uh, uh, Healthcare coverage that uh, that the government is providing at this point. What kinds of things uh, can people expect? What kinds of changes might uh, might happen because of this? Well, actually, the the government is is making it easier for people with Medicare to get things like telehealth, so they can see a doctor on a screen or by phone, or to get three month uh, refills of their prescriptions. Um, the government's also giving hospitals and and other health facilities more more money so they can keep their doors open and deal with sort of the the increased pressure and increased cost of caring for all these patients. So Medicare beneficiaries really shouldn't worry, uh, certainly not about their coverage, that, that things are, are very much sort of taken care of. That's one of the few things that the government really can do just by passing a bill, which is what they're doing. Mm. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Let's go to Gene in Detroit. Gene, welcome to the show. Oh, good morning, Stephen. Hey. What's going on now exposes, like nothing else has before, the weaknesses and the inadequacies of our for-profit health industry, which actually not only puts everybody at risk, but is a danger uh, to the public. And what I hope your listeners will do is take this opportunity while they're all shut in and locked down uh, to, by phone and online, uh, pester their legislatures and the lawmakers to change this system to where the, the resources are always available to the, the medical system for care for everybody single payer, whatever you want to call it, because we can't go through another situation like this. It's a threat to us and to the economy. Yeah. Gene, I appreciate the call and and the strong sentiments there. I agree with most of what you're saying there. I mean, I think uh, there are some real problems that have just been really awfully exposed, and I worry that we're going to see 
even more potential failings in, in, in the near future. Julie Robner, I wonder if you can talk about uh, the effect this might have on the narrative about health policy in this country. Before this started, we were in the middle of a presidential campaign where a lot of the Democratic candidates had said, we really need another revolutionary change to the way we do health care in this, in this country. It should be more like it is in Western Europe, for instance. Uh, does this change that conversation? Does this animate that conversation in a different way? Oh, I think it will. But, you know, one big caveat is that this has swamped the healthcare system of every country that's experiencing it, regardless of what type of system they have. Um, one thing you can say is that places like South Korea, which were able to ramp up testing and contact tracing, they had a much more robust public health infrastructure. And it's, uh, you know, it's complicated, but sort of the public health infrastructure interacts in different ways with sort of the, the healthcare delivery system. They're not quite the same thing. But, you know, we're seeing even in England, which has a national health system, they're having, you know, major problems in their hospitals. Italy, which has a different kind of single-payer system, uh, obviously getting swamped. Spain. So this is sort of beyond what kind of system you have. But I do think that it's fair to say now, you know, most people don't use the healthcare system in any one year. So discussion about health insurance is kind of a little bit distant from the majority of Americans. Well, now everybody is thinking about the healthcare system. And I think that by itself is going to have a big impact on the debate as it goes forward. Thinking, what do we as Americans want from our healthcare system? What are the, the minimum we want? What, how could it be more efficient? I really do think this is likely to change the debate in a pretty profound way when we come out the other end. Yeah. Uh, again, Gene, appreciate the call and the comments. Let's go to Fran in St. Clair Shores. Fran, welcome to the program. Hi. Um, mine is more of a question. Um, the Trump administration is, has been trying to get rid of the ACA, and they have a case in front of the Supreme Court right now. I'm just wondering about that. Mm. Uh, great question, Fran. There has been a lot of challenge, legal challenge, to the ACA since it was signed by the president. Julie Robner, catch us up on uh, the legal picture. Yeah, it's it's pretty ironic. The Trump administration is using the Affordable Care Act uh, in their response to you know coronavirus. On the other hand, the president was asked specifically about that lawsuit. I believe it was Sunday night. The days are kind of running together, <laughs> and he, you know, when they and the the questioner was, you know, should, are you going to drop the lawsuit or at least pull out? They're supporting the lawsuit. It's not theirs. Um, and he said no. Uh, that you know they still think that the Affordable Care Act should be eliminated and that they would replace it with something else. That was what he said. So they've got, at the same time, they're still supporting the elimination of the law while they're actually using it in this crisis. Yeah. And you do wonder whether that will change because of this. I mean, in other words, does it, does it even politically, become more difficult to, to, to tilt against something that is now – uh, you know, helping people during during a real emergency. I mean, uh, this is not an administration that has shown a lot of adaptiveness, I know, but... Uh, I don't know. You, you know, you have all those people, all these people saying now that we should reopen the country and just let old people die. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I wonder if you can also, Julie, before we get back to more listeners, talk about hospital capacity um, and how the ACA may be playing into that. That is a huge issue because of the number of people who need treatment right now and the number of beds that uh, hospitals maintain, which has to do with profit and sustainability. 
Um, is there a lesson to be drawn from all of that as well? Well, most hospitals are still nonprofit. Um, I mean, there's a there's a fairly large for-profit um, hospital sector, but that's it's not the majority. Mm-hmm. And you know, part of it is just the economics of of even keeping a nonprofit profit hospital open and beds available and staffed, and it's very expensive. And you know, even nonprofits can't run you know huge deficits. So there, I do, you know, to go back to what we talked about at the beginning, the Affordable Care Act did help hospitals significantly by insuring more people, and therefore, when they go to the hospital, having them paid for. Uh, a number of hospitals uh, are open today that probably would not have been if not for the Affordable Care Act, which is not to say we don't have a huge hospital capacity problem. But what we're talking about now is something called surge capacity, and that's sort of a different question. And that's kind of the, you know, what the reason for all these, you know, stay at home, social distancing, is that if everybody gets sick and goes to the hospital at the same time, there's not a chance Mm -hmm. that we're going to have enough capacity to take care of them. But if we stretch it out and the same number of people get sick, but they get sick over a year and a half rather than six months, then the hospitals have a sort of fighting chance of keeping up. Yeah. Yeah. Again, thanks for the call and the questions. Let's get to uh, Craig in Southfield. Craig, welcome to the show. Hey, good morning. Uh, So, um... You know, I have to work from home for the first time in 38 years. I'm working from home. Wow. First day, I'm trying to be diligent. I figured, you know, I'm home. Let's throw some dishes in the dishwasher. Let's do some work. <laughs> I, I did not know that. Um, so the dishwasher started making noise uh, for water bubbling up in the bottom. So I reached in there thinking some food is um, clogged. And I didn't know there was a blade in there, and I sliced my finger, so oh, I had to go to no, urgent no. care because okay. I couldn't stop the bleeding. Yeah. Well, I get to urgent care, and everybody in there is for respiratory problems. Hmm. But they rush me in because, you know, I, I'm bleeding. So I'm talking to the doctor, and he was telling me that um, people are coming in for respiratory problems, wanting to be checked for the coronavirus, and they send them to the hospital. But the hospital sends them back because they don't meet the three criterias to be tested, right? Which literally, based on his, um, based on what he said, puts them at death's door. Hmm. So, so I, I guess what I'm getting at is, we don't know how many people are actually sick because nobody's getting tested yet. Yeah, uh, I, Craig, I'm sorry about what happened uh, with your finger, and then you had to go to urgent care. But it sounds like you you got a window onto one of the challenges that that we're experiencing right now, which is how to get people treatment, but also get them testing. Julie Rovner, I, I think this is a, a sort of perfect example of some of the trouble that we're having. Right. This has been the big question all along. We don't know what the denominator is. We don't know how many people um, actually are sick and are either have not gotten tested or have been unable to get tests or are walking around with it asymptomatic, infecting others. Um, this is one of the big, you know, this is a, they call this the novel coronavirus. It did not exist before late last year. So there's so much that medical science doesn't know about it. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's, and that's part of the problem. People say, well, I don't see a lot of sick people around me. Um, you may not see them, but they may be there, and we really don't have a great handle on it yet. Okay, Julie Rovner, Chief Washington Correspondent for Kaiser Health News. It is always really great to have you here for these conversations on Detroit Today. Thank you. Anytime. Yeah.
All right. Up next, we are going to talk with Elin Batanzo, who's the founder of Safe Water Engineering, about water shutoffs in Detroit and the public health angle on all of that. But first, I want to welcome, in a very important uh, part of the show here to the studio, Anna Marie Seisling is one of our producers here on Detroit Today. Anna, welcome to the studio. Thank you, Stephen. It feels fun and a little different to be in here. Yeah, it's a it's an odd time, of course. Uh, we're, we're in the middle of our spring fundraiser and uh, trying, I think, to do it in a way that's respectful of what's going on in people's lives, the fear that people have, the worry. Uh, you are the person who works the phones here during the show on Detroit Today. You're the first voice that people hear when they call in. And I, I have been watching as you answer and talk with people, this has to have been uh, just a mind-blowing stretch of time for you in the last week as we've gotten perhaps more calls than we did before, but certainly more calls that contain real emotional content. Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think that the callers, I mean, part of the reason I said initially when I first sat down is it's fun. I mean, we're in a really, really chaotic, crazy time. I think all of us can agree. Um, but the one thing that really gets me up out of bed and, you know, I look forward to getting into the studio is to talk to you, the listeners, um, especially throughout all of this coronavirus uh, chaos and uncertainty, talking to you and really feeling like I am playing a role in helping to get you the answers and the information that you need to feel a little bit safer if you want to take your dog around the block or if you you know, have a, an older parent or relative that you're worried about, trying to get people the information and a time when we are seemingly flooded with misinformation. It's so easy to find, uh, you know, facts that just aren't true. But here on WDET, the hope and the effort every single day is to try to get you the information that you can rely on, that you can then share with your community. And, you know, we've had a lot of conversations within the Detroit Today team talking about, you know, this is really important to support this work, but we also have to acknowledge that not everybody can. So I'm asking you, if you're listening and you have the money, please step up and support this resource for vital news and community information. You can do it at WDET.org. Yeah. Okay. Anna Seisling. Yeah. Get back to the phones because we still have more of the show to, to get through. Yes, we do. Yeah. Coming up next with Elin Batonzo. Yeah. All right. Thanks for being here. All right. We're going to take a quick break and then Elin Batonzo is going to join us to talk about water shutoffs in Detroit and how they fit into the context of this pandemic. Is this making it worse? And should we have been doing that at all in the first place? We want to hear from you as well what you think about water shutoffs in the city of Detroit. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. <laughs> 